We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. I, this is my favorite one of the morning. This is, this is fantastic. Mmm. Mmm. He's Kramer. I'm Brandon Kylie. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. If you want to get involved in the show, the text line is 69306. We will take you up until 12 o'clock here today, noon, however you want to look at it. It should be a good day of sports, man. Coming up at noon, we've got Texans versus Bucks. We've got the Jameis Winston experience. You can't really beat that. Right now, we've got KU playing Villanova at 12. We've got Mizzou versus Illinois in the bragging rights game. I mean, this is a great sports day, really. This is a fantastic sports day. It truly is. It truly is. And by the way, I haven't even mentioned the fact that we got a playoff game today. We got a playoff game in Kansas City today. The Bills and the Patriots. Chiefs can potentially get the two seed if the Bills win that game. So... A lot to look forward to, a lot to do for the next hour of the show here on 610 Sports Radio. Happy to be along for the ride with you all today. Okay, so there was supposed to be a rivalry game tomorrow for the Chiefs. It was supposed to develop, man. This was supposed to be the number two overall pick versus Patrick Mahomes, the former protege, the pupil versus the teacher, like all of this was supposed to come together very neatly to form a nice little rivalry between the Chiefs and the Bears. Regionally, it works. It's an easy playing ride up to Chicago. It's a Sunday night football game. This was going to be amazing. Well, Mitchell Trubisky hasn't exactly lived up to his end of the bargain for that one. I'm, of course, talking about the Trubisky and Patrick Mahomes link that is forever going to be there because of the 2017 NFL draft. The 2017 draft is going to be this generation's version of the 1983 draft. Now, the nice thing for Chiefs fans is they didn't end up with Todd Blackledge this time around. 1983, it was Elway, Marino, Kelly, and Blackledge. And the Chiefs were the ones that got stuck with the black sheep of that group. This time around, it's Trubisky and Mahomes and Watson. And the Bears got stuck with the black sheep of the group. And listen to this. This is Mitchell Trubisky sounding just completely downtrodden earlier this week when asked about the comparisons that he's had to endure between him and Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. You just play your game uh, and uh, find a way to win for your team. So the comparisons are out there, and they're never going to stop. Kind of me, Pat, and and, and, uh, Deshaun are kind of all grouped together because we're in the same draft class, drafting the first round and, and all that. But... Uh, there, there's no do-overs. We are where we are. Um, our careers are going in different paths, and, and they will for the rest of the time, and they're always going to be compared against each other. So it's just kind of just the nature of the beast, but um, I'm in competition with myself, just trying to be the best version of me, go out there and uh, win games for the Chicago Bears, and um, it's just something that I can't control, and uh, it is what it is. How many cliches did we hear in that answer? It is what it is, something I can't control, no do-overs. Like, I just want to win as many games as I can for the Bears. I feel bad for Trubisky, man. 
at some point he's going to lose his job in Chicago and he's going to forever be remembered as the guy that the Bears took over to Sean Watson and Patrick Mahomes. That's how this is going to be remembered. Like there's no other way around it. We know what Mitchell Trubisky is at this point in his career. He is Alex Smith light. He's Alex Smith because he can run a little bit. He can maybe win you some games if you've got a good enough defense. Like if he's healthy, he's fine. The best thing that you can say about Mitchell Trubisky is that when he's healthy, he's fine. He's not good. He's maybe bottom 10 in the league, but he's fine. He's athletic enough. He can make enough plays. If you surround him with some weapons, maybe you can convince yourself that maybe you can win with him. Well, that's the opposite of Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. Patrick Mahomes, you can win because of. Deshaun Watson, you can win because of. We were talking about this earlier this week on The Drive. There are certain quarterback drafts that are defining drafts for that generation. 1983, I already brought up. That was the Elway, Marino, Kelly, and Blackledge draft. It happened again in 1998 when Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf were the two that were being decided upon at the top of the draft. Of course, the Colts ended up with Peyton Manning. The Chargers end up with Ryan Leaf. The rest is history from there. That will be something that forever changed those two franchises based on how that ultimately went. 2004 was this way. Eli Manning, Phillip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger, those three guys forever changed their franchises. And over the last 15 years, they've been the story of the NFL. 2012, for a brief period of time, was a complete game changer in the way that that draft went down. Andrew Luck went number one to the Colts and changed the franchise. RG3, for a brief period, was a shooting star in the NFL. Ryan Tannehill never really got it working. And then everybody was kicking themselves, including the Chiefs, for not taking Russell Wilson in the third round. That draft changed the course of history in the NFL. The same thing is going to be true of 2017. And this time around, the Chiefs got it right. The Bears got it wrong. And that's how it's going to be remembered. History will not care how it went down. It will simply care that it went down. And this brings me to my larger point of, we have officially seen the changing of the guard in the AFC. It has taken place. For the first time since I believe it was 2008, Tom Brady did not make it to the Pro Bowl. The three AFC Pro Bowl quarterbacks are Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, and Lamar Jackson. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the next decade of the AFC. We have arrived all year. We've been wondering, for the last two years, frankly, we've been wondering, who is going to be Patrick Mahomes' next rival? We tried to make it work with a whole lot of guys. At the end of the day, we now know. We know who it's going to be. It's going to be Deshaun Watson with the Texans. It's going to be Lamar Jackson with the Ravens. And it's going to be Patrick Mahomes with the Chiefs. Those are going to be the three quarterbacks that step above the rest. We tried to make it work with a guy like Baker Mayfield and the Browns. That ain't going to happen. That's not happening with Baker Mayfield. We have, at one point, thought maybe Andrew Luck would rise to that category. Well, Things happen with Andrew Luck, and he's no longer going to be the rival for Patrick Mahomes. Sam Darnold was wondered about if he could potentially be that guy. He's not going to be. He's not going to rise above. The three guys in the AFC that are going to be the next group in the AFC is Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, and Deshaun Watson. I got to be honest with you, man. I can't wait for this because as much as the last generation was great, I can't say they were all that fun to watch. Like, when was the last time that you watched Tom Brady and you were like, man, that guy is so much fun. 
He is such an interesting player to watch. He does things so differently than any other quarterback that I've ever seen. He just was never really that. Ben had a little bit of that to him. Peyton had some time where that was the case for him. But really, the Drew Brees is never really that way. He wasn't the guy that was going to have a cannon of an arm. He was the guy that was going to be the pinpoint accuracy. He was going to throw the seven-yard in routes all day long, and he was just going to dice you to death with that. Aaron Rodgers was that. Aaron Rodgers is kind of the outlier from this perspective. Eli Manning was never exciting to watch. The difference with this next generation of quarterbacks and why I find them so fascinating. Josh Allen, for instance. Josh Allen is unlike anything I think I've ever seen as an NFL quarterback. Josh Allen, on any given play, anything can happen. He might fumble. He might throw an interception. He might throw a 70-yard touchdown. He might throw a five-yard out route that goes 20 yards over the guy's head and ends up in the fourth row of the, uh, of the stands. Anything is possible. Watch this Bills-Patriots game later today. Everything is on the table on every single play. He's pedal to the metal at all times. He might run for a 50-yard touchdown. You just never know. I don't know if he's good or not. I legitimately don't know. I watch a lot of football. I have no idea if Josh Allen is actually good. No idea. But I will absolutely enjoy watching him for the next 10 years. Absolutely. Lamar Jackson, what he's doing as a quarterback this year is stuff I've never seen. I I was able to watch Michael Vick. You guys were able to watch Michael Vick. Lamar's different than that. Lamar's better than what Michael Vick was in his prime. That's special. Deshaun Watson, you remember that play that he had earlier this year where he got kicked in the face and threw the touchdown pass? Yeah, it was against the Raiders. That's ridiculous. Yep. That's impossible. That can't happen. That's a, that, that, there are like five quarterbacks in the last 20 years that can make that play, and that might be exaggerating a little bit. I'm not even sure that it's up to five. That's something that is different that I'm looking forward to watching over the next 10 years, and we all know what Patrick Mahomes is capable of. We know what the highlight reel is. The no look, the left-handed pass, the things that he's able to do, the jump pass, the things that he's able to do that no other quarterback in the league not named Aaron Rodgers can do. That's what I find so spectacular about this next class of quarterbacks. They're different. They're different in the way they play. The fact that I can legitimately sit here today and say, I don't know what you pay Lamar Jackson. I don't know. He's amazing. He's special to watch. He's got the best team in the NFL this year, and there's no question about that. But he's making $2 million this year. What do you pay him on his next contract? I know Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson, they're going to get $35, $40 million a year. And you're you're through the moon happy to be able to pay them that. If you're the Ravens and you're sitting there after the season and you've got a decision to make, not this year, but next year, do you pay him $35 million? I don't know. I think you do. Because you're happy to have him as your quarterback and you figure it out later and that's just a decision that you make down the road. But I don't know. And that's kind of fun, right? Like the idea that I can have a quarterback in the NFL that I deem to be great and also I don't know how long this works is kind of exciting to watch. It's kind of like the Cam Newton experience. There were always people that questioned and doubted how long can this actually continue in the NFL? Well, we now know the expiration date, it appears. It appears that around 30 years old, he fell off a cliff. I wonder if that's going to happen with Lamar. I don't know, but I'm very much here to watch it. And over the next three to five years, we know what the rivals are going to be for Mahomes. We can now hype up Lamar Jackson versus Patrick Mahomes four. Or three, I guess. Would be later. Three? It'd be three. Three? Yeah. We'll be later this year. 
Deshaun Watson versus Patrick Mahomes next time around is going to be a hell of a lot of fun to watch. So that's going to be on primetime for the next decade. Every single one of those matchups. That's exciting. The NFC hasn't seen this yet. We thought it was potentially going to be Carson Wentz. Then it was Jared Goff. It potentially could have been Dak Prescott. The NFC is still led by Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, and Drew Brees. They haven't seen the changing of the guard yet. It's happening right now in the AFC. And as a Chiefs fan, man, I'm so glad that they didn't make the mistake that the Bears did. Man, I am so glad that this time around, instead of Todd Blackledge, they got Dan Marino. This is the guy that they got, and now they are the face of the NFL. It's a hell of a lot more enjoyable to be on this side of the bar, boys. It is so much more enjoyable. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kiley. Kramer is on the other side of the glass. Coming up here in about 15 minutes or so, David Lesky of Royals Review is going to join us. I got some serious questions about what the Royals are doing. I'm not saying that they're wrong in what they're doing. I'm legitimately intrigued by it. I just have some questions about it. So we'll do that coming up at 1130. But coming up next, Kramer, there's going to be some real confirmation bias with whatever happens with the Patriots later today. We'll discuss it next. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. The leadoff with Brandon Kylie, 610 Sports Radio. Are we allowed to talk about Sean's commercials? I mean, why not? They're great. The sports machine, man. Yeah. I just love the intro. Oh, yeah. The intro is the intro's great. <laughs> Sometimes I just question, like, all right, so what are we allowed to say on the radio? What are we and what aren't we allowed to? Because it's, it's really incredible. I would recommend listening to the station throughout the day. Eventually, those will play again. And it's going to be an enjoyable experience for you. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie. Kramer's on the other side of the glass. All right, so there's a playoff game today in the NFL. Did you know that, Kramer? Well, of course I do. So the Patriots are playing the Bills. And this is of interest to me for a million different reasons, partially because I was very early on the, the Patriots aren't good bandwagon. And man, is that paying dividends at this point of the season. It's really going well for me over here. I think there's going to be some confirmation bias with whatever happens. Later on today, it's a 3.30 kickoff between the Bills and the Patriots. You're going to want to watch this because if the Patriots lose this one, the Chiefs have a very good chance they control their own destiny for the two-seed in the AFC. The reason that I say there's going to be confirmation bias is this. If the Patriots win this game, they're very likely going to beat Miami next week. They're going to finish the season 13-3, and and people will say... See, the Patriots are getting hot late. They're fixing things. They have figured things out. They're going into the playoffs as one of the hotter teams. Blah, 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 blah. The Patriots are back. That is one potential confirmation bias. The other side of this is where I'm going to be coming from. If the Patriots lose this game to the Bills today, it will be all I need to see. They will have lost three out of four with their lone win coming against the Bengals, who are terrible and are going to end up with the number one overall pick. And they will be the team that I expected them to be. I will be able to say afterwards, see, they don't have enough offense. They can't score. Everything that I've been saying all year is true about them. It doesn't matter how you feel about the Patriots. Whatever happens at the end of the day, you are going to have some confirmation bias based on what happens in this game. I'm curious, Kramer, from your perspective, what are you expecting from Bills versus Patriots? 
I'm going to say a defensive performance games. Kind of just like their uh, their first encounter. Was that back in week two? Mm-hmm. I feel like that's what's going to happen. But I, I still have the Bills taking over the Patriots. You got the Bills. You got I, the Bills. I have the Bills on this. So for those that don't remember, these two teams did play in week four of the NFL season. It was one of the bigger games that the Bills have played in a really long time. This was in Buffalo. Now, what people forget about this, because they remember that the Patriots won that game. It wasn't exactly a dominant performance. So what happened was the Bills got down early 13 to nothing and never recovered. But here's how that happened. On the first possession of the game, Josh Allen threw an interception. That set up a 50-yard touchdown drive for the Patriots. They go up 6 to nothing. Then the Buffalo Bills on their next drive had a blocked punt that was returned for a touchdown by the Patriots. The Bills are now down 13 to nothing. They're never able to truly recover. And later on in that game, I should mention this because it was an important story of the game, Josh Allen got hurt. And this was in like the third quarter that Josh Allen got hurt. And ultimately, Matt Barkley came in. He stunk. He was terrible because Matt Barkley's no good. It's Matt Barkley. And the Bills lose the game 16 to 10. The Patriots scored three points in that game that was not directly a result of the Bills giving them a short short, short drive or the Bills blocking a, or having a punt blocked in their own end zone and then ultimately re- being recovered by the Patriots. They scored three points in that game. If Josh Allen simply keeps the ball, he plays keep away, he does a typical Alex Smithian game, and the Bills don't have any special teams disasters, the Bills are the better football team. I know that's going to sound strange to a lot of you, but the Bills have a better offense than the Patriots do, and the Bills' defense isn't that much worse than the Patriots' defense. Tredavious White is a legitimate shutdown corner. Now, they have some weaknesses, just as the Patriots do defensively. You can run on them a little bit, but the Patriots can't run the football. And the other thing in this game that I find really interesting is that the Patriots have Julian Edelman on the field, but I don't know how effective Julian Edelman is going to be this week. Did you see any of the videos of Julian Edelman attempting to practice earlier this week? It looked painful. He looked like he was a guy that should be out for the year, not a guy that's going to be playing on Sunday. And if this game was meaningless, I don't think he would play. Like, let me put it this way. If the Patriots do find a way to win later today, I don't think you're going to see Julian Edelman play next week. I think he's going to sit. And then he'll sit the following week with the bye week for them. And then he will ultimately play in the divisional round. That's how hurt I think he is. I think he's battling through real injuries right now, the way that Patrick Mahomes earlier this year was battling through some very real injuries. And so I I know there's going to be confirmation bias later today. I seem to come out, I do tend to come out on the side of, I think the Bills are going to win this game. And ultimately, I think that the conversation we're going to be have having next week is the Patriots dynasty is over. I think that's the conversation that we will likely be having. I think on Monday, when you're watching Get Up, you're listening to Sixth Sense Sports Radio, you're watching First Take, whatever you do on the morning on Monday morning, the conversation that will be had is, this is it for the Patriots. Tom Brady's leaving after the season or he's going to retire. The Patriots are not the team that we all thought that they were. This is the end. And here in Kansas City, the conversation that we will likely be having is, man, the Chiefs are about to get the two seed. Imagine if that's how this season ends. Imagine if, after all that we've been through this year, with Patrick Mahomes in week one twisting his ankle, 
with Tyreek Hill in week one going down with that sternoclavicular injury that we learned about this year altogether, figuring out what exactly that meant. After everything that happened and Patrick Mahomes' knee injury and his hand injury and the offensive line going into shambles and the defense having guys in and out of the lineup and losing a defensive end seemingly every week, if after all of that, the Chiefs are able to get the two seed, that should tell you how good this team is. That should tell you how resilient this team has been. That should tell you how much adversity this team has been able to fight through. There is one thing, though that I would like to see happen over the next two weeks. Just one. Just one thing that I ask of this Chiefs offense. Because the defense, I think they're fine. They have proven to me what I needed to see. They're good. Not great, but they're pretty good. The offense has a very clear weakness. And it's something that we've all kind of thrown under the rug. You know how, like, whenever you're you're cleaning your room, right? Whenever you're a kid, and Rob's like, hey, I need you to clean your room before you're able to go out and hang out with the rest of the the neighborhood. You're like, all right, all right, I'll, I'll go do it. I'll go do it now. And instead of actually cleaning, you just throw stuff under the bed and you throw the rest of it in the closet. You're like, I'll figure this out later, but I need to go out there. Everybody else is out there. They're playing football. They're playing basketball. I need to go out there. That's what we've done with the Chiefs red zone offense. The Chiefs red zone offense has been a disaster this year. Sam Ellinger wrote a great column on this earlier this week. A lot of us have said that the red zone offense is a disaster because the running game has been so bad. I tended to lean another direction, but that's where kind of most people were. They miss Kareem Hunt. That's why the offense is bad in the red zone. Well, Sam Mellinger found that the red zone offense is actually not bad because of the running game. In fact, the Chiefs are average in the running game whenever they get into the red zone. You know that where they've been terrible? The passing game. The passing game ranks 28th when they get into the red zone this year. The running game is in the middle of the pack. It's like 16th in the league. The Chiefs right now are 24th in the NFL in red zone touchdown percentage at 51%. That means 50% of the time, basically, when the Chiefs, who have Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins and all of these different weapons on the outside, McCole Hardman, 50% of the time that they get inside the 20, they don't punch it in for six. They were second in the NFL at 71% a year ago. This year, they are 24th at 51%. If there's one thing that the Chiefs need to work on over the next two weeks, that's it. When you get into the red zone against these teams, when you get into the red zone tomorrow against the Bears or next week against the Chargers, punch it in for six. Because far too often this year, we have seen the Chiefs stall drives out at the seven or the eight-yard line. They settle for three, and then that's how you ultimately lose to the Titans. That's how you lose to the Indianapolis Colts. That's how you lose to the Texans. It's turnovers. It's timely penalties, costly penalties, and it's stalling out in the red zone. If there's something that's going to be their Achilles heel in the playoffs, last year we knew it was going to be the running game, and it was. Last year we knew it was going to be somebody going across the middle with this slot corner that the Chiefs don't have, and it was. This year, if there's anything that's going to be their Achilles heel, it's the fact that they settle for too many field goals in the red zone and don't punch it in for six often enough. That's the one thing that I would love to see get cleaned up over the next two weeks. They've got plenty of time to do it. They've got the teams to do it against with the Bears and the Chargers. They've got the opportunity ahead of them. That's what I need to see. It is the leadoff on Six Cent Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie. Kramer is on the other side of the glass. The protein house eat with a purpose. Text line is 69306. Coming up next, I've got some real questions about what the Royals are trying to accomplish this offseason. 
David Lusky of Royals Review tends to have some answers for me. I'll ask him if he can answer these ones next. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. The leadoff with Brandon Kiley, 610 Sports Radio. This is a good one, too. We've got two in a row. This is this is a nice little groove that we're in right now. I like this. He's Kramer. I'm Brandon Kylie. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. If you guys want to get involved in the show, the text line is 69306. We did get this one from the 785. We'll be joined by David Lesky here in just a moment. To me, that's a misleading stat. Patrick Mahomes missed two and a half games. Tyreek Hill missed six games. Sammy Watkins missed a game. The offense hasn't been healthy together enough for this season for me to worry. As long as the offense is healthy in the playoffs, they will score and finish drives with touchdowns. If you were not around for the last segment, I was mentioning how the Chiefs right now are 24th in the NFL in red zone percentage. They were second last year, and it's one of the things that I would like to see them get fixed moving forward. For what it's worth, the Chiefs were one for four last week against the Broncos in the red zone. That was a healthy offense. They were not good in the red zone. Against the Patriots, they were three for three on field goals. They settled for three field goals in that game. That's not going to work in the playoffs. Against the Titans, you all remember that game, right? We didn't imagine that one. That one actually happened. The Chiefs kicked five field goals, settled for five field goals in that one. The longest one that they settled for was 43 yards. That means the majority of them were coming from inside of the 20. That's not going to work in the playoffs. All of those were relatively healthy offenses. That is something that, regardless of who has been on the field, has been a problem for the Kansas City Chiefs. That is not our conversation with David Lesky, though. Our conversation with David Lesky will be about the Royals. David Lesky is of Royals Review, and he joins us now here on the leadoff. Lesky, how you doing today, my friend? I'm good, but I, I don't think the Chiefs have played the Titans this year, as far as I know. Oh, okay. So I don't, I don't think that game didn't happen. No, you're making it up. <laughs> in that case, I feel really good about the Chiefs in the postseason because they haven't I mean, played they, the Titans, and that never happened. It never happened. Never happened. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of never happened, let's pretend like the 2019 Royal season never happened. Uh, I wish. Um, <laughs> Lesky, what are the Royals doing right now? Because they haven't exactly made a big splash in the offseason, which is fine if they are accepting that they're going to be bad again in 2020. That's honestly like it may sound like I'm being sarcastic here. That is legitimately fine with me. I got no issue with that. You should operate uh, with a realistic plan. I don't want them to throw money at bad players the way they did, they did last offseason. But what would you say has been their plan this offseason in your opinion? I mean, Honestly, their plan is to wait until – Singer and Coar and Lynch and Isbell and Lee and all these guys are coming up. This 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 off season feels a lot like the 2010-2011 off season. Um, maybe maybe even maybe not not exactly because they traded Grinky that off season, but in, in in the way they're approaching building the big league roster because they feel and and whether they're right or wrong, it's not really we can't change it. So that, this is what it is. They feel that they are, they have a, a huge influx of talent coming in the next. Well, let's see, it's December, so seven to, to twenty to twenty months or so. <laughs> so, so between now and and mid season twenty twenty one, they think the core of the next playoff team will be in the big leagues, and they're just kind of waiting for them right now. And if you think back to that off season, yeah, they made the Grinky trades. They added. Um, Kelsey's that's part of the big league roster, and we, we thought maybe it would be Lorenzo Cain too, but then they signed Melky Cabrera and Chester and Core, and um, you know the, those two signings worked out ridiculously well in 2011. Mm-hmm. Didn't work out great who they chose to keep and extend and all that, but that's a different story. Um, but they didn't really do much else. I mean, it was 
all right, we're going to go with Billy Butler at first base. We're not going to do anything there because Eric Hosmer's coming. We're not going to, you know, it's just, it, it was a lot of work just waiting for the next guys to show up. And, and I kind of feel like that's what they're doing right now. And then you look at like the Michael Franco signing. Um, and as, as Clint Scholes, who used to write with BP Kansas City and Pine Star Press and all that, and great prospect guy, he looks at it kind of like the Melky contract. You know, a guy who, um, and, and this is something I mentioned too, take him out of a small park, give him some a little more room for the balls to fall in. His batting average on balls and play jumps up. He, he hits better. He builds some value. He's tradable or he's a, a future piece or whatever it might be. He's only 27 years old, all that. Um, it, so it, it, it kind of is reminiscent of that. The difference, of course, is they don't have the offensive prospects coming up, um, but I think they feel like they've got the offensive pieces. They've got Whit Maribel, they've got Hunter Dozier, they've got Jorge Soler, they've got Salvador Perez already up. Um, you know, they think Nicky Lopez is, is going to eventually hit Alberto Mondesi. They feel like they've got that part in place. And, and so, yeah, I think it's a just kind of hurry up and wait situation right now. And, not as much fun for fans as going out and <laughs> making some splashes and signing guys, but that, that's, I think, where they feel they are at this point in, in the rebuild. So I have no issue with that, and I had no issue with the Franco's signing. It's a one-year, $3 million deal. He at least has upside. He's young. He was a former big-time prospect. I got no issue with the signing. I do have some questions, though, about what it means for the roster next year. So it has now been reported that Whit Merrifield is going to be a center fielder every day. Okay, interesting. I, I don't know if that's the best use of him, but all right. And it has now been reported that it sounds like Hunter Dozier is going to be playing right field every day. I guess my question to you would be, if this is a team that is not going to be contending next year and probably not going to be contending in 2021, and you're going to move Whit Merrifield to be your everyday center fielder, wouldn't this be the time to trade Whit Merrifield? Like, I'm not necessarily in favor of doing so, but... If you are going to build this way, this would appear to be the time that which you would get the most value for him, and he's not probably going to be in his prime whenever you're contending again. I, I just feel like this would be the time to move him if that is the way that you're building. Am I off here? No, I mean, theoretically, you're absolutely right. Um, there's a couple things to consider, though. Number one, I don't know how many times they've had a defensive alignment in mind in December, and then when they take the field on opening day, it's nothing like that. So... I'm not entirely convinced um, that that's actually where it's going to end up. I know it's a different situation with Ned not not in the dugout anymore. It's Medina now and all that, so we don't entirely know how he's going to to work as a manager. But I mean, think back to even spring training when the question was asked of Yost, "Is Merrifield going to play right field?" Because he's played there three days in a row in Arizona. No, not at all. Where was he on opening day? Right field. I mean, so I, I'm not entirely convinced that their plan is to actually play Merrifield in center field every day. Um, but two, on the value side, yes, theoretically he's got the most value he's ever going to have. It's the best time to trade him because you know, they, he's, they're not going to need him. He's not going to be as useful when they're good again, all that. But I, I think there's a chance, um, and, and a pretty good chance. I, you know, I, I criticize Dayton more a fair amount, but, I mean, may, maybe it really is that he's not getting offers for Whit Merrifield that are worth Whit Merrifield. It, it's certainly possible, um, and that might change. I think that that could easily change once some of the free agent dominoes fall, with like Josh Donaldson and and Chris Bryant, and particularly Lindor getting moved and all that. But maybe right now they're just not getting the deals for him, and so you know what? We'll throw him out there. And and like I said, the fact is he's in center field today on the roster, but they're not playing a game for what four months, three and a half sure. months, whatever it is. So I don't. I'm 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 kind of in the let's let's wait and see if they actually do. 
play him every day in center field. I, I think that it's it's not the best use of him. Um, I think if you're if you're going to move him to the outfield, I think left field is the spot. You know, of course that's Alex Gordon. I was about to say that that brings us. We're so, talking we're talking with David Lesky of Royals Review. I want to I want to ask you about that because if Whit Merrifield's going to play center, Hunter Dozier's going to play right, and like you said, we'll see on that. That leaves one spot left in the outfield, and that is kind of the elephant in the room of, is Alex Gordon going to play that next year? Because if he is, that would mean then Bubba Starling to the bench or to AAA, if they can even do so at this point. Brett Phillips potentially starting the year in AAA once again or just ending that project altogether. What do you think this means for the future of that spot, given the circumstances that they have? I, you know, I don't know because, look, I, as much as they want Alex Gordon back, and, and I think they want him back for his clubhouse leadership with a new manager as much as anything, um, but I hate to say it, there's just not room for him on the current roster because you do you do want to see if maybe you can – maybe Bubba Starling can figure out how to become Jake Marisnik, which is incredibly sad that that's like his highest upside at this point, but it, 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 that's where we are, so – Let's be realistic about that. Um, and maybe see if, if he and Brett Phillips can be a left-right platoon in center field because the defense in there is, is solid. Um, I personally think Brett Phillips is even better than Lorenzo Cain was in his prime defensively. The problem is he can't hit enough to, to make it worthwhile. So um, that's an issue. But, yeah, I mean, Alex Gordon on this team, as much as I love him, as much as I, as a fan of Alex Gordon, would love to see him back in 2020, it just doesn't fit. Um, but you know, that said, if, if he wants to come back, he's going to come back. Dave Moore wants him back. And, and I get it from some perspective. So I, I don't know what the answer is. And then you think about two, and it's not a huge deal because he's got three options or he'll have three option years remaining. Nick Heath just got out of the 40 man roster and he's torn it up in, in winter ball. Um, I mean, if he's the starting center fielder next season, I wouldn't complain one bit. He may not hit, but it's worth a shot. Right. Um, but with the 26 man on the roster is, is his spot there. I, you know, I don't, I don't know. And, the nice thing is these things have a really good way of working themselves out. Right. It could end up being that Mondesi's not ready to go on opening day, and so Lopez flies over to shortstop and Merrifield plays second, and all of a sudden we forgot about it. And by the time Mondesi's back on May 1st or whatever it is, you know, something's happened and, and there's a spot. And it, it, it usually ends up that it's okay. Um, I think it's a good thing that there's competition. I mean, maybe they're not the best players for the competition, but – it's better than handing Billy Hamilton the opening day center field job. You know, it's it's a Absolutely. it's a much different scenario there. So I I don't know how it's going to shake out, but you know, I, I have a hunch it, it just kind of work itself out as as the as spring training progresses at least. Final question that I had for you, David: the AL Central. It seems like right now the Indians are just having an absolute fire sale. Lindor is apparently available. Like this team's going to be really bad in the next couple of years. They're going to go on their down cycle. The Twins, I have no idea how real what they did last year is. The White Sox are certainly building, but they still weren't as good as teams as people expected a year ago. We'll see on 2020. Are the Royals about to enter a period where if they can build this the way that they want to, they have a realistic shot to potentially be back atop the AL Central by 2021? Yeah, 2021 might be a little early. Um, it depends. Look, if, if the guys come up this year, if Singer and Coar come up and Dominic comes up and they take their lumps in 2020, ready to be, you know, top middle, at least middle of the rotation, big league pitchers in 2021. Sure, it's possible. Um, with the Indians, I mean, if you're going to trade Lindor, and it sounds like they're going to trade him and maybe Clevenger, just deal with Ramirez, trade Brad Hand. Mm-hmm. 
you can trade those four and probably build half of the 2023 roster, honestly. So just do it. So I, I think if they're smart with trading, they may not get a down cycle quite as much. But, yeah, I mean, this is working out kind of nicely for the Royals because the Tigers, you know, their rebuild not doesn't seem to be going. They have, they have a lot of pitching, too, a lot of top-end pitching as well. Um, so they might – maybe I'm wrong on them. But, you know, I, I could see a scenario where in 2022 the Royals are – pushing for 85 to 88 wins, which, I mean, this is a couple bloops here, good, bad calls for them here and there. 88 wins becomes 93 pretty easily, and that can win a division. You never know. Especially so, yeah, in I mean, this division, because if those teams yeah, are bad, absolutely. you're you're the Twins this year. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that, that's not a 101-win team. And they, they're, they're a 95-win team that got they five or six extra wins because of the Royals and Tigers. Honestly, right. you're right. So, um yeah, I think it's certainly possible. I, I, I mean, at this point, I'm not ready to predict it or anything, but I think that their their timing of their cycle for theoretically winning is, is pretty good considering what some of the other teams in the division are doing. He's David Lesk. You can find his work on Royals Review. You can find him here on the leadoff from time to time as well. Lesky, we always appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. Absolutely. Thanks, Brandon. You bet, man. That is David Lesky of Royals Review joining us here on the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I have one other thing that I wanted to add about the Royals. We'll get to that on the other side. Plus, getting to the mountaintop for this Chiefs team is going to be so much sweeter than we expected it to be. We'll do that next. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. The leadoff with Brandon Kylie, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie Kramer on the other side of the glass. We will be here with you guys until 12 o'clock. Coming up at noon, it is Out of Bounds with Dusty Likens and Nick Price. We are live and local for you each and every Saturday right here on 610 Sports Radio. So a few things that I want to get to before we tie a bow on this thing. The first thing is some terrible news for fantasy football. Just awful news for fantasy football. If you're in your championship week this week, everything has gone to crap because we've got these situations with the running backs with the Vikings running backs and the Raiders running backs. Josh Jacobs is out this week. So you're either going to start DeAndre Washington or Jalen Richard. I think I'm going to go with Washington. We'll see. I would go with Washington. And then the Vikings situation is just a disaster, an absolute disaster. Dalvin Cook, we know, is out this week. All week, it has appeared Alexander Madison, the backup, was going to be out this week. Well, now we got a new report. This comes from Chris Thomason. Uh, who covers the Vikings for the St. Paul Pioneer Press. Dalvin Cook not practicing with his shoulder injury, as expected. But running back Alexander Madison with a high ankle sprain is at practice and testing his ankle in individual drills. If Alexander Madison tries to go on Monday night, that means Mike Boone, you can't play him. The problem is you also can't play Alexander Madison because he has this high ankle sprain that could absolutely end up hurting him by the into the first quarter and you get three carries for four yards from him and then he sits out the rest of the game and you lose your fantasy championship because you trusted Alexander Madison in the damn championship weekend so the other problem here is that they play on Monday night so you can't really wait until the end of the weekend to make a decision on this you got game starting in 10 minutes you got to know here very soon whether or not you're going to start Alexander Madison or Mike Boone before the end of the day my suggestion to you, just don't go with it. Just just avoid it. Go with whoever your alternative is. For example, I've got Debo Samuel going later today. 
Debo Samuel, Who? exactly in my championship weekend, is going to be in my starting lineup. This is a disaster. An absolute disaster. I had Chris Godwin all year, and going into championship week, Chris Godwin's out for the weekend. This is this is horrible. Anyway, that's your fantasy advice for you. You can get more of that tomorrow morning on Sunday morning with our guy, Serta. What you're here for today is Chiefs and Royals takes, and I've got some of those for you. Let's finish up our Royals conversation from the other side. So if you missed it, we were talking with David Lesky of Royals Review. He was fantastic. You can check it out on the radio.com app or 610sports.com. That's where you'll find the podcast of the full conversation. The Royals are playing it out this year as if they know, and I respect this actually. I like that they are going down this path, that they're not going to be good in 2020. Next season, they're not going to be a good baseball team. They're going to win 65-ish games, and they're going to continue building for 2021. I think that's the right call. I do. I think they're not going to be good. So why waste money the way that they did this year on guys that are also not going to help you get to that ultimate goal? Go sign young, low-level players that could potentially hit if everything goes well. And if it doesn't, you either trade them or you release them in the middle of the season. But they were cheap and young. That's the important part. Cheap, young. Those two things are the way that this team is going to build. I do have one thing that I found really interesting about what was written earlier this week in the Kansas City Star. So Sam Mellinger wrote that the Royals might try to operate like the A's moving forward because the new owner, John Sherman, wants to have something that is sustainable. He wants to build a roster that is not just good for 2021 and 2022, but can compete continuously from 2022 to 2029, right? He wants to be a team that every year feels like it can go into the season expecting 85 wins. And if that's going to be the case, they're going to change the way that they build their roster. Guys like Whit Merrifield are not going to be here for the long term. Guys like Danny Duffy are not going to be here for the long term. Instead of being here for the extent of the contract, they're going to trade those guys. Somebody on the text line says, no one cares about the Royals this time of the year. I don't agree with that. I think there are Royals fans that are very interested in seeing if their favorite players are going to be here for the long term or if this team is going to shift its belief and its team-building philosophy to the way that the A's build their roster. This is my favorite time of the year for baseball. Sure, it's great. Hot stove season when your team is actually participating in hot stove is really fun. The Royals aren't participating in that right now, but if they decide that they're going to build the way that the A's do, they are always going to be involved in hot stove, but it's not going to be the way that you necessarily want it to be. They're going to trade their best players. That's how it's going to move forward. The A's every year is going to be a roster of guys that you've probably never heard of. Now, they're going to compete. They're going to be pretty good. Every year, the A's are at least competing for 85 wins typically, but it's going to be with guys that you've really never heard of. Like, Matt Chapman is really the only guy that's consistently going to be on the A's. They made a trade a couple of years ago for Steven Piscotty. They'll probably trade him here pretty soon. Everybody else on the roster really Guys that you've never heard of as a fan. And so if you're okay with them building that way, it can work. It can be consistently good baseball. I enjoy watching good baseball, but it's just going to be different. For instance, a good example of this, 2016, after the Royals had won the World Series, if they were going to build this way, they probably would have traded Hosmer or Kane or Moose or all of them. They probably would have traded Wade Davis a little bit earlier on in the process. They probably would have traded guys that you didn't want to see left or leave before you were ready to see them go. Alcides Escobar probably would have been traded earlier on. 
that's just a different building philosophy. It's not right. It's not wrong. It's just different. And so the highs with that are going to be a little bit lower. The lows with that are going to be a little bit higher. You're going to be somewhere between 75 and 95 most years. You're not going to bottom out. You're also probably not going to see the peaks that you saw when Dayton Moore went for broke. It's just a different team-building philosophy. And so I'll be really interested to see if they actually decide to carry that out. I don't think we're going to see it this year. It's a little bit late in the process. Sherman came on later on, right as we were kind of getting into the offseason. That's something that we'll see if they decide to do that coming up next offseason. This time next year, that would be when we really start to see that implemented. So I'm really interested to see if that's actually something they decide to go with. Chiefs-wise, my biggest take about the Chiefs right now is that the process that we went through to get here is all going to be worth it, and it's going to make it that much sweeter if they ultimately make it to the Super Bowl. I had more fun in the Royals 2014 run than I did the 2015 run. I know that sounds crazy because the end was obviously not what we wanted to see here in Kansas City. But the way that team got to where they were, it was stunning. The Royals at one point were 48 and 50 that year. Nobody's ever done what they did after being at that place at that point in the season. It's never been done. It was stunning that they got through the wild card round and then made it through the ALDS and the ALCS and were unscathed and then ultimately got to the World Series. It was stunning. It was fun. It was exciting. It was something that I wasn't ex- expecting. And that's something that I kind of feel like will be a mirror image of this Chiefs season. Given how the way this season went, I don't think a lot of people midway through the year expected the Chiefs to get to the Super Bowl. I think that was not something that was on people's mind. When Patrick Mahomes went down with his knee injury, I think a lot of people at that point thought, this isn't going to end the way that we all expected. But because of that adversity, because of what this team has went through, I actually think they're even better suited to make a run for the Super Bowl this year than they were last year. Last year was just all highs, all season long. It was highs, highs, highs. This year they've been through the lows. They've had the adversity. They've had to fight through things. This team's battle-tested in a way that they weren't last year. It's more fun to watch, man. And it's going to be sweeter if they're able to get to the mountaintop. Been a lot of fun to be with you guys today. Football is going to be awesome later on this afternoon. There's a legitimate playoff game here in Kansas City coming up at 3.30. Bills and Patriots. I got the Bills in that one. I know it's not the popular opinion, but I think the Bills are going to win that game. And I think the Chiefs are going to be able to control their own destiny for the two seed moving forward. For Kramer, for David Lesky, for Kent Swanson, I'm Brandon Kiley. This has been the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. Coming up next is Out of Bounds with Dusty Likens and Nick Price. We'll see you next week. The leadoff with Brandon Kiley, 610 Sports Radio. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.